All right. Well, good morning, everyone. Um, I met a few new people today, and it was a joy to meet you. And so if I, I'm sorry for this jacket for those of you who are new. For those of you who are new, this isn't what I normally would wear. But this week on Monday night, my, our Michigan Wolverines won the national championship. It's a really big day for all of us, I know. I know we're all celebrating. And uh, I'm just thrilled. But I don't want to make, today is not about Michigan Wolverines. So I'm not going to, I was going to preach the whole message in this. I'm not going to, because today isn't about Michigan Wolverines. <laughs> today the Detroit Lions host their first home playoff game in 26 years, I think it is, or 30 years, something like that. So, hey, um, all right, all right, enough of that. Sorry, I couldn't help it. Um, if the Lions won the Super Bowl this year and I get two championships in one year, Pastor Tyler's going to have to suspend me for probably three months from getting up here. So, hey, let's, let's pray and uh, get back to what we're here for, actually. Um, yeah, Lord, um, thank you for your grace. Thank you for joy and laughing together. God, thank you that when we come together, we do come together as a family. And uh, it's not just like kind of a corporate meeting kind of a moment. Or uh, it's not just, uh, um, yeah, some kind of club where we're all trying to present our best. This is a place to really bring ourselves. Um, and that means bringing our tears, bringing our joy, bringing the celebration of national championships. Um, but no, Lord, I pray that, um, that you would speak to us. You'd speak by your spirit and through your word today. I pray, God, that I'd be out of your way um, and that you would speak what you want to. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I was going to, you know, rant about Michigan, and then I got Michigan State fans here, I know. And there's also Ohio State fans who are here. And, um, and, and I love you. I just want to say I love you both. But I didn't want to get into something really divisive to start off the message. So instead, um, did you guys know this is an election year? Uh, this is an election year. Yeah, yeah. So, so just to kind of remind us so we know what's ahead as we walk through 2024, it's an election year. And that is related to this, this series, Strangers to Family. God takes strangers and makes them family. Um, so uh, what we're going to experience, what we're not going to experience this year is 100% of the nation is going to vote for one candidate and everybody's going to go, yay! But that's not going to happen, probably. I mean, you never know. Um, what's likely to happen is going to be competition and debates and combativeness and conflicts and divisiveness and media and social media and all of that and really just polarization, as Pastor Tyler talked about last week. Polarization between people who share the same nation, maybe the same state, maybe the same city, maybe the same neighborhood, maybe the same house. Polarization. And but I read an article this week that I found interesting. It was from UCLA, um, the Anderson Review. What the article is looking at is a longer story and just kind of looking at the, the kind of pattern in our own nation. And the question is, does politics cause the divisiveness or does it reveal the divisiveness? And what we see in this article was they looked at it and just studied the last decades and decades and decades of our own history is, yeah, it's a revealer of division that's there, that's been growing and growing. And I would say the division in our own culture is actually revealing what's present in humanity. Is it's drifting from one another, strangers, and not even just strangers. Oftentimes, human beings bearing God's image are hostile strangers, are the neighbor you don't talk to anymore because they 
I don't know, didn't mow their yard when they were supposed to, or they threw something in your yard, or they said something about you, or whatever it might be. They're, they're hostile neighbors, hostile strangers. This is a far cry from God's design intent. And as we're starting off this year, we're really looking back to Genesis to see, looking at some chapters that are intended, that are set there in the Bible. And Genesis 1 through 11 really are set there to help God's people, beginning with Israel coming out of Egypt all the way up until now, help God's people understand how did the world get to where it is and what is our relationship with it and God's relationship with it? What is God's design and how did it get so far from that place? And in Genesis 1 and 2, as you read it, you see God creating this good world and, and creating humanity as his image bearers with this intrinsic, intrinsic value to find their peace, to find their place right there in the presence of God, in relationship with God as their perfect father. In fact, God's design is kind of like the ideal family, a family that probably none of us, well, not probably, a family that none of us live in. But the ideal family that actually many of us may imagine or compare what we have to, in the ideal family, the kids in the house find their security, their value completely in looking at, they would look upon their parents and receive from their parents such perfect love and perfect care that they would be so secure and so loved that they would be free to serve their siblings and share with their siblings with no competition or hostility. That is not how my house has functioned. I got four kids and 0 for 4 on that, right? But in the ideal family, that's kind of what it would look like. That, that the parents would give such perfect love and perfect care to the children. That they would look in the eyes of their parents, receive that, and be able to freely serve and enjoy horizontal relationships with their siblings. And that's God's design as well. Even as Pastor Tyler talked about last week, we were designed to find our own sense of value in the vertical relationship with God as our creator, as our father who loves us, as the one who cares for and protects us. That we would look upon him and we would so trust him that it would free us up for all these horizontal relationships with other humans. That, that we could live in humble, peaceful unity with one another. Joyfully serving. But last week we talked about the fact that in Genesis 3, that vertical relationship was broken. And humanity really became estranged from the perfect father through their own rebellion when they wanted to usurp authority and be their own God. And they end up divided up from this God. And today, what are we going to talk about? And don't worry, as we keep working forward, we're going to see how the gospel is about Christ restoring these things that were broken. But today, we're just going to look at what Genesis has to say about how when that vertical relationship was fractured, the horizontal relationships all started to unravel as well. And in Genesis 1 through 4, what we really see is that God created a family. God created a family. Humans created an estranged family. God created a family. Humans created an estranged family through sin, through rebellion against God, and then through hostility with one another. That word estranged, I don't use it very often, but I may say it so many times this morning that I say it wrong, but just this is what uh, the definition is, the working definition. Estranged means to alienate, to no longer be close. I think that's important. To no longer be close. To estrange means the loss 
of a previously existing relationship. There's this, in Genesis, in 1 through, through 11, really, in the story of kind of the global story of humans and God and creation, there's this truth that's laid out for every human being for the last thousands of years, thousands and thousands of years to embrace. That we actually long for something that we've never experienced in our present life because we were created for something we've yet to receive. With the relationship with God, there is something in the human heart that literally scopes through all of creation and digs through all kinds of literature and, and, and watches all kinds of YouTube videos to try to figure out that, that there is some kind of God out there, there's some kind of created thing, something greater than me. Is there? We just are pursuing that. Why? Because we were created needing something we've never yet experienced, but we have to receive through restoration. In the same way, when we're around people, and we feel friction and, and disconnect. And we feel nervous around people when we walk into a new room and all that. Right? There's this inner angst tied to, I feel uncomfortable around people, these people. Some of us more than others, right? But all of us have some measure of that discomfort. Kind of like, uh, this doesn't feel right. Why? Genesis 1 and 2 shows us why. Because we were created to live at peace with other human beings who all find their value in relationship with God and therefore are so free and secure that we can love one another and serve one another without competition and hostility. But the fractured relationship with God produced an unraveling of relationship with one another. And the world we live in is defined by both of those realities. Human beings broken in their relationship with the Father and broken in their relationship with their human siblings, if you will. In Genesis, we're gonna, what we're going to do for the rest of this morning is just walk through some of Genesis 3, and mostly in Genesis 4, and just look at some of the ways that uh, unravels in the narrative of Genesis, and then consider how it's applicable in our own lives. So picking up where, where Tyler left off last week in Genesis 3, we know that Adam and Eve have rebelled. They've, and if you didn't, weren't here last week, go check out that message online. That's what I had to do because I was gone last week. Um, Genesis 3, 11 through 13 is kind of culminating this where God comes into the garden and Adam and Eve are hiding. They've covered up and are hiding from God in the garden when he's walking among their, their home together. And God says this, Who told you that you were naked? The Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? Now, this is important to note. They are afraid of God's presence for the first time here. First time they've been afraid of God's presence. Why? Because when they sinned, shame came with it. And they're ashamed to present their real selves before this God. And so they're hiding. And God says, how, how, how has that happened? Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I command you not to eat? Tyler talked about that last week. But look at the response. The man replied, it was the woman. It was the woman. Now, don't. Everybody settle down. All right, because there's more to it. It was the woman. It's her fault. Not only that, it was the woman who you gave me. It's the woman you gave me. So notice this. God says, did you eat? 
Did you disobey what I commanded of you? Did you violate trust in me? And there's no answer to that yet. It was the woman you gave me. And then he says, she gave me the fruit and I ate it. Now here's the real answer that could have been there in that question. Whose fruit, have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I command you not to eat? I ate it. That's the answer to the question. But immediately the response is it was the woman that you gave me. And God now turns to the woman and says, what have you done? The serpent. I don't know, wherever. The serpent deceived me. That's why I ate it. Again, what could have been her answer? I ate it. Right? Both of them. I ate it. I ate it. But all these qualifiers, it was the woman you gave me, it was a serpent who deceived me. And it's, this is the very beginning of kind of this unraveling of relationship. And what do we see happening here is blame. Blame. As the human relationships are starting to unravel, there's this pointing of the finger towards the other to deflect my own guilt, my own shame upon them. And, and that's, again, this is set to be, this is the story of humanity. And so there is a way all of us experience this in our own life. The inclination... When we feel guilt and shame, and let me tell you right now, if you feel guilt and shame today, I won't tell you to look around the room, all right? But guess what? Everyone in this room, either right now or at some point in the past, and probably some point in the future, experiences guilt and shame. But guilt and shame, when the human being doesn't believe that they can bring their guilt and shame to God, they deflect it towards others by pointing at their guilt and their shame instead. You know why? It is impossible to carry your own guilt and shame. You can't carry it, and I can't carry it. I tried carrying it. It's crushing. We aren't built to carry our own guilt and our own shame. It has to go somewhere. But if we don't recognize that we can bring it to God, then what we tend to do is become very accusational about everyone else's guilt around us. And what happens? You ever had someone blame you for something? My sister blamed me for all kinds of stuff. She was right 75% of the time, but... Somebody blames you, you know what? You don't want to do hug them. You want to get farther away or closer to punch them. Right? It provokes distance between relationships and... Boom, immediately, that's what happens in the garden as this unraveling of relationships with one another first moves into shame, or into blame because of unresolved guilt and shame. And then there's more in Genesis 3, and we're not getting into that today. And then uh, ultimately, Adam and Eve have to leave the Garden of Eden. They're separated from that home with God. But God still gives them grace, clothes them for their shame, and sends them out. And they go out of the garden, and now they have children in Genesis chapter 4. And now we're going to look at the story of, they have Cain, and then shortly after that they have Abel, these two sons. And Genesis 4 then gives us another narrative, another story of this early, the, the, the first family, if you will, of humanity. In Genesis 4, 3 through 6, it says this, When it was time for the harvest, so these two boys have grown up, when it was time for the harvest, Cain 
presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. That's important to note. Presented some. Abel, the other brother, he also brought a gift, the best portions of the firstborn lambs from his flock. So recognize this. Cain works in the fields. Abel works with the flocks. But the main thing to note, Cain presented some of what he had to the Lord. Abel presented the best of what he had to the Lord. And the Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. It goes on and says, This made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. Why are you so angry? The Lord asked Cain. Why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you do what is right. The word anger there. It says, he brings some. Abel brings the best. The Lord receives. And we don't know exactly what that looked like. Does it look like it did other times in the Old Testament? Did God send fire to receive that sacrifice? I don't know. Don't know. But there was some way in which Cain was able to experience his situation and look over and see Abel's as well. The Lord accepts Abel's and not Cain's. And Cain is angry. And that word anger in Hebrew, it just speaks about kind of like if you put metal in a fire and it starts to heat, right? It starts to heat and starts to glow as it's just burning until it's ready to scorch whatever it touches. That's what's happening. And that word also can translate as probably the better word for it, jealousy. Burning jealousy growing in Cain. And it says, and he, he looks dejected. He looks dejected. And, and that, I mean, his, he's displeased and his face falls. And I don't know if you ever, uh, um, uh, I assume that the Washington fans, Monday night, they, some point in the game, their faces were dejected, right? So it's where your face falls because this isn't how I want it to be. Or, or where your heart sinks. That's a language we use. My heart sank. Because of disappointment. That's what Cain feels here. And God says, why? You will be accepted if you do what is right. So again, this is just, you can do what is right. You can be accepted. Bring your best. You'll be accepted the same as Abel. And we see though, as coming up in Cain's heart here is this comparison. Comparison. And comparison can look a lot of different ways. Is now these two people in God's image, and also two people who are biological brothers. Are, Cain is viewing his life in comparison to Abel's life. And for all of us, that can look a lot of different ways. Sometimes it can look like insecurity, which causes us to usually draw back from people because we're insecure. It can look like pride. I think I'm better than you which causes others to draw away from us or can even provoke anger, a burning jealousy that I want what you have and I think I deserve it more than you. And disappointment, insecurity, again, just like with guilt and shame, if we don't bring those things to God, then they turn to something bad towards one another. If we don't receive our sense of worth and value from God, then what we tend to do is find our sense of worth and value in comparison to everyone around us, as if we are living in the midst of a, a, a total competition against everybody else for who's worth the most. And you always end up turning against your competitors. 
It's a comparison. It continues on here. and We got blame and comparison or jealousy coming up. And then in verses 6 and 7, it goes on and God, again, God said to him, why are you so angry? The Lord asked, why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you do what is right. Cain, you got the same invitation and relationship with me as Abel does. Instead of saying, I want what he has, just recognize, oh, maybe if I bring my best to the Lord, I'll experience the exact same thing. But then there's a warning. God says, but if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you. But you must subdue it and be its master. Crouching at the door, eager to control you. Here we are, the kind of origin story of humanity. And here is these two people having different experiences with God based upon their own life. But it, what comes up? Jealousy, hostility towards one another. So what, what do we do now? Well, when that comes up, Cain has two options. Trust the Lord and do what is right. Or step out that door and be overtaken by sin that wants to control you. Sin here is presented as like this beast waiting at the door of our heart for the moment we decide, I don't trust God with how I relate to others. I'm going to do what I want to do. Sin says, perfect, bam, grabs onto us. And so now we see the temptation of sin. This crouching beast at the door of Cain's life, ready to control the way he treats Abel, ready to control the way that we treat others. And, and that's happened again. This story has kind of been on repeat throughout all of human history, both in national scales and also on personal scales with neighbors, with coworkers, with friends at school, with family. The moments where the enemy wants to control the way we treat one another. And what we see Cain do is... You know, we got blame and we got comparison and jealousy, and now we got the temptation of sin wedging in between human beings, splitting them apart and turning them against one another. And so temptation comes, and, and Cain has this opportunity to do what is right, or sin is going to try to control you. You have to subdue it, and trust me, nah, I'm going to go out the door. And Cain gets devoured by the beast immediately in verse 8. This is one day, the very next verse. One day, Cain suggested to his brother, let's go out into the fields. Don't do it, Abel. Let's go out into the fields. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Now, if you're reading Genesis, if you, you, maybe you started the Bible in the year. Genesis 1, 2, 3, 4. And now you get to Genesis 4. It should really break your heart. Because if you're reading, about eight minutes ago, you just read about God setting humanity in the Garden of Eden, giving them his love and affection, making the humans, the two that are there, making them of one flesh, that they're bound together, and now they're going to be a family in God's presence, and they have perfect peace with God, and they love one another, and they have no shame. That's the end of Genesis 2. About eight minutes ago, you read that, and now one of them, the very next generation, is murdering the other one. That's how quickly it all starts to unravel. 
And that word brother, he attacked his brother. I mean, yes, it's his biological brother, but that word also just means those who you have, you share something common with. One you bear resemblance to. It's two image bearers of God, and one of them kills the other one. So ultimately, what we see created here by Genesis 4, verse 8, is hostility towards one another. And I'm not saying this is a natural progression. These are just different components of what, in this first story of humanity, creates the brokenness of relationships with one another. Guilt and shame that aren't brought to God and so are deflected to others in accusation and blame. Insecurity or disappointment that instead of being brought to God are deflected towards others and in jealousy and pride and insecurities, creating more space. The temptation of sin and where the enemy wants to turn us into those who hate those we're supposed to love. And hostility towards one another. Hostility just means unfriendliness, opposition, aggression towards others. Now, most of us may not be physically aggressive towards others, but I guarantee 2024 will give us chances to do it with our typing fingers or our texting fingers or with shutting people out and not talking to them anymore, with ignoring our neighbors, if we're honest, kind of intentionally. But we smiled, right? Hostility, unfriendliness, opposition, aggression towards others. Because here's the deal. In, in the Garden of Eden, the enemy's plan is not done with just creating space between humans and their God. It continues on that the enemy's desire is to turn us into those who hate those we're called to love, who hurt those that we're called to serve. Because that's the breaking down of God's design. So Genesis 4, then, and what I want you to notice here is chapter 3 and chapter 4 kind of are parallel narratives. Chapter 3, it starts with Adam and Eve in a perfect relationship with God. And by the end of chapter 3, the question to Adam is, in 3 verse 9, Adam, where are you? Go ahead, bring it up here. Where are you? You're not where you're created to be. You're created to be right here when I step into the garden, whatever that looked like, that when I step into this place, you just joyfully welcome me without any shame or any fear of me. You're just joyfully trusting, welcome me in my presence, and you, you love it. Where are you? You're not where you're created to be. In chapter 4 then, the start of chapter 4, we got Cain and Abel, just two sons set as a part of the same family. And look at 4, verse 9. After Cain has killed Abel, it says, The Lord asked Cain, Where is your brother? Where is Abel? Where is your brother? Where is Abel? 3, verse 9, the, the words, Where are you? are an echoing kind of exclamation point of the estrangement that's happened between Adam and Eve and their God. And now in chapter 4, where is your brother is the question that is the exclamation point and the estrangement, the, the division that has happened between Cain and Abel, between humans. In verse 10, Cain answers and says, I don't know. Not true, right? 
I don't know, Cain responded. Am I my brother's guardian? That means, am I, am I responsible to keep and care for him like a shepherd with a sheep? And am I responsible to watch out for him? Am I responsible to protect him? Am I responsible to serve him? What's the answer to all that? Yes. Yes. And he was supposed to be your guardian as well. Am I my brother's guardian? But the Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. The New Testament is going to say that blood of Abel cried out from the ground and still cries out to the ground and is only overshadowed by the blood of Jesus. That's what it says in Hebrews. God created a family Humans created an estranged family. I need to say that. I, I know that in this community, in this community, some of us experience right now estrangement in our own family. A child, a parent, a, a spouse, a, a sibling, where there has been a loss of what used to be there. It's painful. And on the grand scale of what the Bible presents to us. It says this is not just the problem of individual families. This is the problem of the human family. We are separated from God and we are separated from one another. And Christ came to restore it. Thousands of years after the story of Cain and Abel, thousands of years later, in the New Testament, Paul in Ephesians chapter 2 describes the relationship of humans and describes it as there is a dividing wall of hostility. He's speaking there of Jews and Gentiles. People are split up based upon backgrounds and opinions and perspectives. A dividing wall of hostility. And that word, dividing wall of hostility, the Greek, which the New Testament is written in, the word Paul uses is the Greek word phragmos. Phragmos. You may hear an English word in there, fragments. That very language says there is something that was whole that is now split all apart. Like if you take a plate at your home today and you throw it on the ground, it shatters into, it fragments into all kinds of pieces. They're designed to be, to find themselves as part of the whole, but they're now all scattered all over the place. And Paul says that is humanity's problem. In Romans chapter 1, this isn't on the screen, but in Romans chapter 1, Paul says it this way, and he's calling back to the story in Genesis 1 through 4. It says, Since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, he abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do things that should never be done. Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, gossip. They're backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, boastful. They invent new ways of sinning. They disobey their parents. They refuse to understand. They break their promises. They are heartless and they have no mercy. Wow, Paul, thanks for the positive outlook on the world. Paul would say, it's been true since the garden. These are just all the words that begin to describe what happens when human beings no longer find their sense of worth or their way of life from the God they were created to trust in. But instead, they're all trying to function as their own gods. And Paul says when that happens, 
All kinds of evil emerges from insecure, broken hearts. They're hostile towards one another. So as we move towards the end, I just want to present those two questions that that Genesis presented to us to consider. Where are you? Where is your brother? Where are you? And where is your brother? Where are you? For many of us, our answer still might be, I'm hiding from you, God, because I'm ashamed of myself. To which I would say, his arms are open. He's here to welcome you. The very fact that God says, where are you? Our words of affection for broken people desiring to restore them. And the second question, where is your brother? And hear that more than you may not have a biological brother. And this is here speaking in Genesis of where are those that you really are in their lives called to serve them and love them? Are you distancing yourself, protecting yourself from them? Are you uh, acting out in aggression towards others in your life? Where is your brother? And here's the beauty. Both of these questions we can't solve by ourselves. Christ came to restore what was broken. And that's what we're going to see in the weeks ahead. Tomorrow, um, Martin Luther Luther King Jr. Day. And um, actually, encourage all of you, if you want, you can join us. Uh, I'll be uh, um, walking in the parade with the local ministers. But um, there's a a parade and celebration tomorrow. But there was a quote from Martin Luther King Jr. that I thought was really interesting in light of what we're talking about in this series. And he looked at the dividing wall of hostility that was marking this nation. And this is his words. He said, I refuse to accept the view that mankind is so tragically bound to the starless midnight of racism and war that the bright daybreak of peace and brotherhood can never become a reality. I believe that unarmed truth and unconditional love will have the final word. As we move towards our response time, I'm going to set us up for that. Where are you and where is your brother? You were created for something. We were created for something that we cannot find in our own human effort. But God has provided for us in Jesus Christ. So there's different ways to respond today. One is um, through giving. We give back to the Lord who has given everything to us. And so there's baskets in the back for those who want to give in that way. You can give online as well. And for us as a church family, we give because He has given everything to us. And we give as worship and we give as service to the world around us. Secondly is coming to these tables where we come and we, we recognize and we remember the broken body of Jesus Christ. His body broken so that all that is broken in us can be made whole. And so that a broken humanity can be restored in relationship with God and in relationship with one another. So as you come to that table, remember that you are welcome to that table by faith in Jesus Christ. And if you put faith in him, then he has done the work to lead us back to him and towards one another. And thirdly, um, uh, near both the crosses, there'll be some of the leaders here just to pray with you. And um, as you do that, um, I just want to encourage you. Maybe something came up in a relationship that's estranged right now. The reality is we talked about that today a little bit. 
that may be kind of stirring in your heart, the pain of that, we'd love to pray with you. Maybe there's something else. You feel the disconnect between you and God and estrangement with God, and you want to be restored in relationship with Him. We'd love to pray with you about that, have a conversation about that as well. I just want to encourage you. Those are the three ways just to engage. And then um, the worship team is going to lead us back into a song of worship. And the song is Goodness of God. Um, the song is evidence, but it's evidence of the goodness of God. And here's the reality these last two weeks. The best way for us to become the kind of people who can love one another well is to recognize there is a God who first loves us perfectly. To look upon the goodness revealed in Jesus Christ. God loves us and He is committed to caring for us. And it's only through that that our hearts can really be restored enough to freely love one another. Well, let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your grace and your mercy. Thank you, Lord, that, that this day doesn't rely on what I can say. It relies on what you can speak by your Spirit. So Holy Spirit, I pray right now as we move into our response time that you would just press some truth in our hearts that you want us to remember. And Lord, as we come to this time of remembrance and response, I pray that our eyes would be filled with the glory of who you are and what you have done for us. And our lives would be changed and marked by the love you give to us and the love that we are called to give to one another. In Jesus' name, amen.